It's the Veterans Radio Hour. Brought to you by Dallas Corporation for all your corporate printing needs. And by GIM Productions, creating internet solutions. Websites can do that. Now, stay tuned. The Veterans Radio Hour is next on the Veterans Radio Network. Tango Charlie Bravo, you're a go for the Veterans Hour. So your company has a website. We are all familiar with how the web can be used to showcase information. But did you know the web can also be used as a medium to actually do something to help your business? GIN Productions delivers custom web-based technology and applications to meet the needs of your company. We have the experience and the expertise to deliver web applications, e-commerce solutions, and interactive multimedia. GIN Productions can help you in making difficult technology decisions. We work to make web technology work for your company and we will be there along the way to support you as you grow. Our comprehensive team includes talented programmers, software developers, graphic designers, and network specialists that strive to bring you the best. Contact us at our toll-free number 1-887-256-6914 or email us at info at GIMproductions.com. Websites can do that. Welcome, one and all, to the Veterans Radio Hour. It's our tribute to all of those who served our great nation's armed forces, past and present, and their tremendous accounts of heroic duty and bravery. With your host, Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, coming to you live from our Veterans Center studio, here is General Dave. Good evening, veterans and those who support our nation's military, its past, its present, and future sacrifices, and the duty. This is our 21st show. The topic tonight is Iraq, and we got some great guests tonight, experts with a lot of experience. We have uh, Colonel Retired Ed Chamberlain, who is a Director of Workforce Development at the Georgia Department of Defense and a member of the Department of Defense's Command and Staff Team, Strategic Management Board. We have Lieutenant Colonel Retired Joe Repia, who a veteran, paratrooper, infantry, Vietnam. He currently owns his own aircraft sales company. We have John Wobensmith, who is the Director of Development and a lecturer in Intelligence Studies at the Institute of World Politics, also a veteran. And we have W. Thomas Smith, Jr., author and national freelance journalist. In a studio, our live studio tonight with us, we have several veterans joining us. We have Tom Jadanian, World War II veteran, prisoner of war from the Battle of the Bulge. We have Tom Rendell, Army Colonel, still on active duty. Brent Kaufman, Captain Reserve. He's a West Point liaison officer here in the Chicago area. Roy Dolgas, Chairman of the Veterans Council, City of Chicago. And Mark Demond, Senior. United States Air Force veteran. And now to you, Kenny. Dave, this is going to be a very, very important show tonight. I want everybody to know if they can, call in at 866-928-2329. We'll try to get to your phone messages as well as uh, on our discussion board. I see we've already got a group of people who know that we're talking about the war in Iraq tonight. So Dave, take it from there. Okay, dedication tonight. Every show we do a dedication 
to uh, someone that uh, means a lot to us, to the United States military. And tonight, uh, it's a little unusual case, and I think um, you'll get as emotional as I was when I read, the, uh, read about this, uh, this uh, Justin Bryce. He's a 10-year-old boy, and he died on Christmas Day this last year of liver cancer. And our show tonight's dedicated to Justin. He made a wish to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And what he wanted was to outrank his brother, Private Raymond Bryce of the 10th Mountain Division. The Make-A-Wish Foundation contacted the United States Army, and the Army made it happen. Justin was enlisted at 10 years old into the United States Army and promoted to sergeant right there in the Pentagon. He was allowed to fire an M16 with night, night vision devices. He uh, acted as a commander of an M113 armored personnel carrier at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. And he took a flight on a Black Hawk helicopter. His mom said he was still calling himself Sergeant, wearing a little army uniform until the day he died. Justin's headstone is inscribed Sergeant Justin Bryce. Wow, amazing. Here is today's military quote of the day, brought to you by support from retired Lieutenant Commander Adrian Rubinkowski. A quote tonight uh, has to do with our show, and it's uh, taken uh, out of uh, one of the speeches that the President of the United States made, and it goes, the, the segment is, you're either with us or against us. So tonight we're going to talk about a little bit tie, the subject tonight is tied to that, a little bit to that quote. Do we stand firm? Do we take uh, other countries to task that disagree with our present actions regarding Iraq? Do we go it alone? We're going to be talking about those things from the quote, you're either with us or against us. You're listening to the Veterans Hour with retired Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now back to the broadcast. Okay, I want to talk about our guest a little bit more tonight uh, real quick before we start. Uh, all four of these gentlemen are on the telephone with us for various locations. Uh, we have Colonel Ed Chamberlain, North Georgia graduate. In fact, we went to the same uh, uh, school together. We got our commissions in the United States Army on North Georgia. He served 30 years in the United States Army as a ranger, a paratrooper in 101st Airborne, 82nd Airborne. He was an infantryman with the 7th Infantry Division and at the 1st Cavalry Division in Vietnam. And as I said earlier, he's the, now currently the Director of the Workforce Development at the Georgia Department of Defense and a member of the Department of Defense's Command and Staff Team uh, Strategic Management Board. And also on the telephone with us, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Joe Repia, graduate of West Michigan University. In fact, he's the top graduate of that school. Commissioned as a Lieutenant of Infantry. and went to Vietnam as an infantryman at the 101st Airborne Division. In fact, Joe and I went to Vietnam together. We did some other things together prior to going to Vietnam in our training. And then when, uh, he went to flight school in 74. We also did that together. Then after the active duty, he served in the National Guard and Reserves for a while. Uh, he went to Desert Storm, fought with the Big Red One in the Aviation Brigade. He volunteered to be activated for that duty. And he currently owns Aircraft Sales Company, and I, I wish uh, the owner of the studio is here is tonight, Lance Hack, because I think Lance Hack would love to purchase an airplane from, from Joe Repia at the end of the show. 
Uh, John Wobensmith. Um, met John last year. Uh, really a great guy. He's participated with this with the Institute of World Politics, his institution, on uh, on a conference last year, and uh, we're going to do a conference uh, together this coming year. It has to do with the uh, capabilities of our intelligence infrastructure in the United States of America. Um, and he had he's 30 years experience uh, in a national security field military and other places and he's an expert on turkey uh, he served there i think for two or three years and and uh, tonight in our subject of iraq we're going to touch on turkey as well with that relationship and then uh, thomas smith uh, w thomas smith jr author national freelance journalist also a veteran marine paratrooper shipboard special weapons uh, security and counterterrorist instructor he's the author of the encyclopedia of the cia which, by the way, is not out yet, but it will be out and this year in April. And he, he writes for many different uh, sources, uh, USA Today, U.S. News and World Report, Business Week, and, and others. So we have all four of these gentlemen with us tonight, and we're very fortunate to have that kind of a lineup on this show with the subject on Iraq. And I'd like to turn to, to Ed Chamberlain first. And Ed, are you there, sir? I'm here, Dave. Good evening. Yeah, good evening to you. And um, uh, thanks for joining us tonight on this on this. Uh, uh, subject on Iraq. Uh, actually, we could have brought you in with your background. Any of the shows we've had, we've had over 20, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, shows on Rangers and and uh, and uh, uh, what we've done for veterans or not done, and different subjects like that. Really, really good ones. But uh, you wrote some great articles for the Tribune, uh, a newspaper that I'm somewhat associated with, uh, from the foundation, McCormick Tribune Foundation, and. Uh, you, you wrote some uh, good articles in a perspective of, of an infantryman, what you find in the ground, uh, what, you know, the uh, the influences of the enemy, the terrain, uh, our, our friendly forces, et cetera. And uh, what I'd like to start off the discussion with, Ed, is, and by the way, all these guys tonight, I'm going to ask them some questions that people ask me all the time at CNN and other places. It's my turn. But uh, I'll, I'll be happy to answer any questions any, anybody has at Collins as well. But first of all, uh, Ed, do you think uh, there will be a war of Iraq uh, before, let's say, this summer? I think if we're going to have one, Dave, it has to be before this summer. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of variables out there, but I'd say that, uh, using the old standard, uh, greater than a 50-50 chance that we're going to, to see that combat. Yeah, and, and if you would, Ed, uh, tell, tell the listeners uh, why it's so important before uh, this summer. I think uh, primarily, well, actually two reasons. One has to do with the coalition, but I think uh, primarily and, and hopefully the direction you're going is when you're looking at the, the MET-T analysis of that. Uh, when you look at the, the chemical uh, primarily capability that uh, Saddam Hussein has and his uh, unrestrained use of that, his demonstrated use of chemical weapons, uh, we want to get over there and be able to uh, prosecute that war in MOP-4 military or uh, you know, the protective posture. And, uh, of course, that has, a, has us wearing an awful lot of heavy uh, garb, and as the temperatures rise later in the year, it uh, really makes that uh, combat much more difficult and much more strenuous for our soldiers. Yeah, and another, another piece on the, uh, uh, the weather, the terrain, and that. a question on the terrain, the go, no-go terrain, the condition of, the, of uh, the ground if you have to attack, uh, let's say, from the south to north, uh, what, what is the uh, influences there? Well, you know, there's, uh, 
there's really uh, a lot of canalization out there where, where most folks think, well, that's wide open desert uh, with our armor heavy forces. We just roll across that. Uh, when you get down and do the detailed terrain analysis, you find that there are tremendous areas that are, in fact, no-go uh, and not really uh, appropriate for our light infantry either because uh, all we would do would be uh, force the enemy to bypass. And I think here we're looking at a, at a very fast maneuver type of warfare. We want to be able to get in there where we have that maximum mobility, be able to use our firepower mobility and the combined arms uh, capability and uh, quickly get in and defeat. Yeah, and one and Ed, uh, before I uh, go to one of our other guests, could you tell me, uh, tell the audience actually, what uh, what you did in the Desert Storm the first time? Dave, when I, during Desert Storm, I was the uh, division chief for Special Operations Division, uh, working out of the Pentagon, and then uh, directing operations, working operations out of KKMC. Yeah, and, and explain KKMC. Uh, King Khalid uh, Military City uh, was the uh, northern area. That we were running operations from during uh, during Desert Storm, and that we ran our special ops uh, forces out of for one of the areas that we did. Okay. All right. Thank you, Ed. And uh, we're going to bounce around. We'll be back to you in just a minute. I want to I want to go to John Wobensmith. John, are you with us from Washington D.C., sir? Uh, good evening, Dave. Yes, I am. Uh, nice to be with you. Yeah. Thank you for for being with us on this uh, 21st show. Uh, with the the feeling, I'm going to ask you the same <laughs> question. The feeling you have in the Washington area there, the the different. Uh, Groups that you work with on uh, some of the think tanks and, and, and studies and paper presentations, et cetera. Uh, what's the feel there on uh, war is uh, right around the corner or maybe delayed? What, what's your feel on it? Well, it certainly looks like it's that we're getting very close to, to having it happen. And I, but I think one of the things that we always have to keep in mind is it really is up to Saddam Hussein as to whether or not there's going to be a war. I mean, he's under the gun to, to come forth with the proof that he is indeed complying with the United Nations resolution. The, the point of it is that so far, under 1441 and the others, he simply hasn't done it. Uh, he's, not, he's not come forth. In fact, he's been, in fact, obfuscating and hiding things and, and uh, doing all kinds of uh, different kinds of things to try to hide all the things that the team is there and, and is supposed to be shown on a voluntary basis, and, and that's simply not happening. So the point in, the poor question, I guess, is at what point in time does, it, the, does the United Nations and the United States say, okay, enough's enough, uh, he's, he's not going to comply, he's not going to do what he's supposed to be doing. And so, you know, that's the real question. Now, at the same time, I also agree that from a military standpoint and what, what lots of folks have said, is uh, the time is coming fairly soon when that, when this is going to have to occur if he doesn't come forth and, and make a sudden turnaround and really start start cooperating. Now on your on your uh, your statement, uh, John, on the cooperation, uh, I take it you're you're looking at it not from November 27th to uh, January 27th, but you're you're taking it back 12 years ago. Well, actually, it does. It does go back that far, and you know he's violated so many of the of these, and he actually agreed that long ago, as you know, uh, that uh, he would in fact disarm, and he simply hasn't done it. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a couple questions on some allies later on, and sure. especially Turkey, but I want to hit you with one question on Turkey real quick. Uh, do we have to have Turkey to go? Well, Turkey's important, I think, yes. I think they need to be there. In fact, you know, they've been with us for, for many, many years now because, indeed, we've been operating uh, against the northern part of Iraq out of Turkey. We, we fly missions every single day out of Turkey. 
and uh, they've been very cooperative and, and very supportive of us all, all through this whole period of time. So, but, but from the standpoint of, yes, there will have to be a force, obviously, coming from that area uh, if we're going to engage in military operations. Yeah. Okay, we'll get back to you in a minute, John. I want to hit uh, uh, Tom Smith here real quick. Tom, are you with us, sir? I'm here. Well, thank you very much for, for being with us. Uh, you know, let me ask you a question on uh, what your feel is on intelligence availability uh, for the possible uh, war on the horizon compared to, let's say, 91. Can you just give us a, a quick a minute or two your feel assessment on that uh, then and now? Yes, sir. Well, uh, first of all, General, I think our intelligence is, is far better than it was in 91, although it was very good uh, in 91. But I think because of, well, there are two factors. One is the fact that uh, the, the technology, uh, it, it, it doesn't increase at a, at a set pace. It increases almost exponentially. And, and, and in that, uh, our ability to read the battlefield is so much greater than it was before. The other thing is since September 11. Uh, our human intelligence capabilities have increased dramatically. Uh, I think we, we, we knew that, uh, that we uh, fell short in that in, in the decades uh, prior to September 11, 2001, and a lot of, and there are, you know, myriad reasons for that. But, uh, but I do, I think we have the, uh, the intelligence uh, that will enable us to, uh, to be a very effective in, in this war if it happens. Yeah. Okay. None of us uh, really are... Um well, even if we do have access to classified material, we're going to go into that at all, any, any, any of our guests or anybody here in the Veterans Radio Center. But, uh, Tom, let me ask you this from open source material and your feeling uh, of how the CIA operates uh, for past uh, uh, missions. What, well, uh, what do we have going on in Iraq with the CIA right now? Well, I think you – well, first of all, you, you mentioned open sources, and uh, – and that is a that's that's a major uh, that, that's a, that's a major function of the CIA is to, to gather uh, information from open sources and good point. And for your listeners uh, that may not be familiar with open sources, that's things like uh, newspapers and magazines and television broadcasts. And when you have things like Al Jazeera, uh, we're gathering a tremendous amount of information from that and comparing it with other. Uh, bits of information that we gather from other uh, sources. We put it all together, and we can process better finished intelligence. Okay, great. And uh, we're going to get back to you as well, Tom, if you can just uh, stay with us for a while. We only have about four minutes left, and I want to turn to my old uh, Vietnam buddy, Joe Rep. Joe, you there, sir? I sure am. How are you, General? Good. Uh, tell the audience, please, uh, where you're calling us from, and uh, and then uh, what what's going on in your state reference uh, the drum of war. I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, I guess my opinion, uh, quite frankly, is yes, uh, war is going to happen. It's, it's somewhat inevitable now. Uh, the reason I believe that is I, don't, I do not believe Saddam Hussein will change uh, his actions uh, that he has uh, been uh, doing over the last 12 years. And I... My, my gut feeling tells me it will probably be the last two weeks of, of February or the first week of uh, March when it will happen. Well, what's going on where you are right now? What's National Guard in, in Minnesota? What's, what's well, we do have a number of National Guard and Army Reserve units that have been called up and, and already deployed uh, throughout the United States, some to Europe and some uh, to the, the Gulf region. Uh, 
one thing that we might want to talk about tonight is the growing anti-war movement because we we had a uh, we've been having on on a weekly basis uh, activities up here uh, demonstrations uh, to the tune of anywhere from 500 to a thousand people. Really, and where is that? Is that at, at uh, schools? Where is that happening? A lot of college students, uh, you know, parading through downtown Minneapolis. Uh, uh, a lot of signs going up in the region saying, uh, say no to the war in Iraq, uh, so much so that my wife and I have uh, 250 signs being printed right now that say, liberate Iraq, support our troops, call your congressperson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. we, will be, uh, we will be distributing those uh, in the Minneapolis area starting uh, the end of this week. Okay. Uh, you know, when we, uh, we're going to take a, a break in a little while, but uh, keep in mind, a lot of uh, questions are starting to pop up on our, uh, from the audiences, and, uh, and so a lot of these things you're going to be thinking about, uh, do we go alone, do we have allies go with us, uh, the anti-war thing that Joe brought up, what is a smoking gun equal, what is it? I mean, what has to be uh, a material breach in order to uh, convince others, like the Europeans as an example, Russians, China, whatever, that uh, there should be a war. Uh, what about North Korea, as you look over your left or right shoulder? Uh, reaction to the Middle East if we go to war, is oil a reason or not? Uh, sustainment of war in Iraq, while well, we got Afghanistan still uh, we're operating there, counterterrorism all over the world and other contingency operations, et cetera. So just keep these things in mind. Kenny, do we have time for one question? I've got this question from Master Sergeant Eric Frey, uh, Air Force in Kunsan, Korea, just uh, oh, good. typed into us and wants to know with the high percentage of reservists that are police officers and firemen. How is that going to affect us here in this country being called up? This is a great question. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a stab at it because we only have a, 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 like a 30 seconds left. Uh, what we have right now, I know, for instance, even here in uh, the Chicagoland area, is that a lot of the infantry units, uh, a lot of those troops are uh, police officers. And, and, uh, and there's firefighters as well. Um, I gave a little farewell talk to the 20th uh, Special Forces Group company the other day on the way to Afghanistan. And in fact, um, the local communities uh, will have a, a, a little bit of a vacuum as these citizen soldiers are mobilized, uh, mostly under Title 10, which means federal government, some to state when they leave. So we're going to take a break and come back, think about what you're going to be talking to us on the, on the air to our four great uh, guests. Military.com has a, now a site up, military.com slash deployment. For those of you who are interested in more of the deployment news that's going on, it's a guide for the deployment. Also, remember, February 12th, the rally at the Supreme Court to support Colonel Bud Day and the class action suit against the government for taking away benefits from our veterans. They're going to be meeting at the Columbus Club and side of Union Station and then at 11 o'clock at the Reserve Officers Association building right there in Washington, D.C. I want to also recognize the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund and all the great work that they're beginning to do once again and the National Vietnam Veterans Art Museum here in Chicago. We'll be right back after this word. You're listening to the Veterans Hour on the Talk, 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 Talk Radio Network.
Way Anchor Mates, the Veterans Radio Hour now continues full speed ahead on the Talk Radio Network. Aye, aye, sir. The Veterans Hour proudly presents our military hero story of valor. Welcome back to the show. Tonight I want to uh, tell you about a story um, concerning a chaplain, a hero chaplain, Charles Waters. Now, our military history is full of stories about the heroism of America's military chaplains. Countless were wounded, others were taken prisoner, and many were slain in a line of duty. For instance, uh, during the War of Independence, three lost their lives. War between the states, 75. World War I, 11. World War II, over 200. Korean War, 13. And Vietnam, 20. And Charles Waters is one of those chaplains that gave his life. He was a member of the 173rd Airborne Brigade, uh, a hero of fierce fighting near Dok Tho, Vietnam in 1967. Chaplain Waters was moving with the rifle company when it engaged the North Vietnamese Army Battalion. And during the fierce fighting, he moved forward into enemy fire to recover fellow downed paratroopers on four different occasions, carrying them back to the constantly moving friendly perimeter as they tried to, the company tried to defend itself against the onslaught of the NVA. He moved around inside each new perimeter, giving the aid he could to help the medics with their uh, mounting tasks because of the number of wounded. Chaplain Waters was mortally wounded while saving his comrades, and he was one of the three chaplains in our history to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor. The Veterans Radio Hour salutes the Active Service Person of the Week, made possible through the support of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. As they say, PB Army, ASAP. Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, available at your local retail outlet. Okay, now, usually on our shows, in the last 20 shows, we have highlighted one active duty person. It could have been active duty that uh, took off for an operation. Overseas, it could have been a National Guard uh, or Reserve uh, man or woman that was mobilized. But tonight, we're going to recognize all active reserves and National Guard from all our services that are in theaters overseas right now, are en route to some theater overseas, are training to go, alerted to go, and those performing duties stateside or in a foreign base during this time of conflict against many adversaries with the uncertainty of commitment to war. You're listening to the Veterans Hour with retired Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, back to the broadcast. Okay, and again, uh, with us we have four great uh, guests. Colonel Ed Chamberlain, uh, member of Department of Defense's Command Staff Team, Strategic uh, Management Board, Lieutenant Colonel, retired Joe Repia, a veteran, uh, Vietnam, Desert Storm. He currently owns an aircraft sales company. John Wobensmith, Director of Development and Lecturer in Intelligence Studies at the Institute of World Politics in Washington, D.C. And Thomas Smith, author and national freelance journalist. And I welcome back all our guests. I had a list of some questions here that Kenny and I threw around before we started the show. But we have some terrific uh, questions coming in from our audience tonight. And I really want to move right to that because this is actually, Kenny, the best I've seen. And, and uh, we want to go ahead and uh, take advantage of that. Um, one of them here right now, it says, do you think President Bush has classified information that he cannot reveal that is promoting his urgency to go to war? And I'll throw that one to John Wobensmith. And the answer 
answer, I believe, is yes. Uh, if you watched or, or listened to uh, Paul Wolfowitz last week, he started to lay out the case, and I thought did a pretty convincing job. And he indeed used, he mentioned, he, in fact, he said, you know, there were two big paragraphs, and I had to cut them down to, to two sentences uh, for classification reasons. But obviously they are starting to, they have information. And if you read Condoleezza Rice and you read uh, Don Rumsfeld's and listen to them and what they're saying, they're being very specific, but without revealing the sources and methods of, of, of the information. But clearly there is information there, both from defectors and from all the other intelligence agencies. Okay, and I think uh, you answered that one fine. Let's go to Andrea in Georgia. Uh, you know, one of my concerns is what is going to happen to Americans if and when we attack Iraq. It does not seem that anything is being done about the terrorists who are and have been living in this country. And I'd like to go to, to uh, Tom Smith on that, or anybody, actually, but I'll try first with Tom. Well, that's a great question. I, I think, first of all, uh, that, that uh, the young lady who asked the question needs to understand that if we do go to war with Iraq, it's, it's not like it's a separate war. It's an extension of the current war against terror. And I, and, and, and I have to go along with what, uh, what John uh, Wobensmith just said. Uh, there are certain there, there's information out there. There's intelligence out there that we uh, we don't have. Uh, the general public has no knowledge of uh, that the administration does. And so we have to put our faith in the administration. Uh, you know, we, you know, we, we elected a president. He, he's got his cabinet there. Uh, no one wants to go to war. You know, war is the last option. And I'm quite sure that President Bush feels that way. Uh, but in terms of uh, you know, I hear so many people, they, they argue that, uh, that the war is not going well for the current administration, the current war against terror, and that's why he wants to go into Iraq. And, and, you know, truthfully, nothing could be further from the truth on that. The war is going very well uh, for the current administration. You have to look at it this way, General. It has been 16 months since September 11, and no major attack on U.S. soil. And, you know, we hear these, uh, these, these terrorist threat levels. Uh, the FBI and Homeland Security puts out there, and, and, and so many people come to me and they say, does that mean the terrorists are becoming more emboldened, or are they, are they more eager? And no, what it means is that because, as a result of our winning the war against terror, we are gaining better intelligence. Uh, we're, we're gaining better information, which we process into better finished intelligence. Okay, good answer, and uh, appreciate that. This one's, uh, Ed, Ed, I'm going to come to you with this next one. <clears throat> it's from uh, Fossey from... Uh, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. It says, do you see this upcoming war with Iraq as an extended war, or do you expect it over quickly with mostly a UN occupation? David, I think that that's uh, one of the great unknowns. When we, when we geared up for Desert Storm, there were a lot of predictions on that, and I think everybody uh, was surprised at how quickly that one went. I think this one on the the outskirts, when we come come from the south and, and go north, assuming that's the, uh, the primary axis of advance. I, I think that will go very rapidly. The, the key aspect right there is twofold, I think. One is, what do we do with Baghdad? And you read the different uh, experts out there talking about how we would approach that, and, and I think that the consensus pretty much is that we almost have to bypass that. We don't want to get, get uh, drawn out into some kind of a long uh, urban warfare. You know, we're not we're not geared for it. Uh, we're not prepared, and I don't think the the American population is prepared 
for the, uh, the media event of collateral damage and, and everything else. But having said that, I believe that we can go in and, and very rapidly achieve all of the strategic objectives and isolate Hussein and Baghdad and just leave them in there. So it will go quickly on the initial stages. Then I think the long-term aspect is how do we run the coalition to uh, take care of the country after we finish the actual uh, active combat. Right. Let me go to Joe, Joe Repia. Thank you, Ed. That was a good summary. I want to go to Joe Repia because uh, Jay Greeley from South Carolina has asked about the workforce, police, fire, tied to uh, the counties and, uh, and uh, cities, et cetera. Uh, Joe, with uh, what we got going on in Afghanistan, the war on terrorism here, there, and everywhere, uh, on the horizons, possibly Iraq, and with the mobilization now, uh, it's going to be here pretty soon, close to 100,000 uh, for Title 32 and 10, both state and, and federal. Uh, how are we going to sustain uh, the commitment of the military the size of it is right now and then be able to take care of uh, the day-to-day -day security safety concerns of the American citizens at home? Well, that's a very good question asked, uh, General, by the young lady from Georgia. The uh, situation is that the uh, throughout the United States, National Guard and Army Reserve units are starting to fill the personnel squeeze of having uh, units activated and deployed. Uh, and as a result, they're seeing some, some problems with uh, recruitment and retention. Uh, it's a situation that, uh, uh, that's very difficult for, for a municipality that has a number of police officers or firemen that are they're in the reserve or guard uh, because once they go it takes time for them to to train up people but uh, what we're seeing i think locally here is a lot of uh, of uh, municipalities are offering assistance uh, when they see a small uh, city or town lose some people they're offering to step in and, and provide uh, coverage uh, to the best that they can yeah and later on the show we may have to talk about uh national service of some sort to sustain this effort if it's uh, for the next decade or so um, but uh, we'll come back we'll come back in a point thank you Joe I want to do one more question here with uh, with John Wobin Smith John has to do a turkey and uh, Colonel Tom Rendell in the audience uh, brought up a couple points uh, about uh, Turkey being our one of our one of or maybe our strongest ally, I, I kind of agree with that a little bit myself, having served uh, with the Turkish soldiers in uh, peacekeeping operations. But uh, what is your feel on, I guess, um, what Turkey will really do to support our request, uh, vice what they have to say to placate uh, some of their citizens? Well, you've got a you've got a little bit of a different government now than what they've had before, so it. It is a little bit stronger on the Islamic side of things than than, uh, than previously, but as you say, the, the Turks have been have stood side by side with us since Korea, uh, and and have been with us on every single time that we've called on them to help us or to or to support us or to support the causes. Uh, they certainly uh, did some incredible things as well during during the Cold War. But I think, uh, I think that uh, the Turks will be, again, will be solidly with us. Uh, as you say, there may be a little bit difference of what, what is said in public than what actually uh, takes place. And, and certainly on the experiences that I had over in Turkey with the, with the military were, were extraordinarily good ones. 
and uh, they, they always did the right thing. I think one of the things that, that, that struck me was last week, you know, the, the Turkish foreign minister called together a, a meeting of the foreign ministers, six of them, in the Middle East. The Iranians, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Jordan all got together. And they put out a, a, a joint appeal collectively to Iraq saying, demonstrate a more active approach towards the, uh, the weapons inspectors. And they urged the uh, Iraqis to do that. They did not go beyond that. The message was obviously very specifically directed at Iraq. And uh, they, they uh, did not come out with any other, any other thoughts other than that. And I thought that was quite significant that uh, the Turks were able to get all the others together, yeah. including the Iranians and, other, and the yeah. Syrians. No, that's a good point. We have, uh, and we're going to probably come back to Turkey. We've got one minute left, and I want to go to uh, Tom Smith real quick. It's a question from Fred in Oak Brook, Illinois. How difficult is it to hide the weapons the inspectors are looking for? Hey, you have 45 seconds, Tom. I'm sorry, but you're you can do it. Okay, General. I, I think that uh, I think it's very easy to hide the weapons. First of all, uh, there are all sorts of uh, there's a network of, of underground bunkers. Uh, Supposedly, there are also, there's also, you have to consider the fact that he may have sent some of these weapons to uh, countries that are, uh, uh, he has a relationship with, uh, possibly uh, Syria, some of these other countries. Uh, even Iran, it's been suggested that some of, some of these weapons uh, have been moved to Iran. Who knows? Okay. Uh, thanks, Tom. And thanks to summarize that as quick as you can, because we're going to have to break uh, in, in a couple seconds and get ready for a third segment. You're listening to the Veterans Hour on the Talk, 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 Talk Radio Network. The Veterans Hour now returns to duty on the Talk Radio Network. And now, with the update on military news from around the world, here's General Dave reporting. Okay, I'm going to change this a little bit, and we're going to do a little bit of the update news a little bit later, because we have great guests on, and we have all kinds of questions coming in. So I'm going to go back to our guests. We have four great guests tonight, Colonel Ed Chamberlain, uh, Army uh, veteran, 30-year service, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Repia, Army veteran, uh, John Wobensmith, uh, Director of Development, Lecturer in Inter Inter uh, Intelligence Studies at the Institute of World Politics, and Tom Smith, author and national, and national freelance journalist. So we're going to go back to them, and I'm going to we probably have time for one question to each guest. I'm going to try to uh, honor what the audience that's calling in wants. And the first one's going to go to John Wobensmith, John. So here we go. Uh, this question uh, I, I would, be, would be unfair for me to answer it, so you're going to do it. It's from uh, Ken uh, Marquette, Los Angeles, California. CNN and Fox News has been accused of not providing the entire facts. They have actually gone on record saying that news is entertainment. Um, what is your feel, feel about these networks properly uh, in a balanced manner, uh, giving what the American people want or need? Well, I, I watch Fox News a fair amount. I watch CNN probably a little bit less than that. But you know, I would say thus far they've been pretty, they have indeed been pretty balanced. Uh, they certainly they cover many many different sides of the issue. So it, I don't think they can be accused of just 
taking one side of it or just the government side of it or anything else. I think they've done a very good job so far with the information that they have available to them. And, and uh, I think they've pretty fairly reported that. So it isn't that uh, necessarily that they're taking a particular view. I think it's depending on the events, on the information that's being made available to them or that they can get access to. Yeah. And, you know, it looks pretty balanced to me. Okay. Uh, I want to go to Ed Chamberlain. And, Ed, this is a kind of a veterans, this is a kind of a citizenship question. Uh, in World War One and World War Two. They had the people uh, had what was known as the war service flag, and it was the right rectangular framed uh, flag, uh, framed in red, with a blue star. If you had a family member, uh, in fact, we have one hanging right here in our studio. A family right. member was uh, in service. Uh, it was it was a gold star, of course, if uh, someone was uh, lost their life. Uh, gold star mothers, gold star wives, and blue star mothers uh, um, were, grew out of that service flag tradition. Is this is something that we should bring back with the commitments we have right now? I think it's been an excellent idea, and particularly with the uh, the rise of, of popular support uh, following the, the events of 9-11. And, uh, Joe, before we go further, if I could drop back for just a second on one of, I believe it was uh, Joe's comments, and you were discussing the, the volunteer aspect. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, we're really seeing a, an increase in our uh, volunteers and folks signing up in the Georgia Guard. Uh, been really some tremendous support down here. The other thing, I've been working with the, the Chief of Police Association on exactly that issue that you discussed earlier and some of the challenges. Uh, we've seen our State Defense Force, which is an all-volunteer force, uh, more than triple in size uh, following the events. So there's been a tremendous uh, community outpouring of support for the military and for the uh, the national policies. Right, that, okay. That and that you're during the Atlanta area, right? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. And don't forget now, for just for the uh, or the guest, we only have two minutes left, but we're going to stay online uh, for 15, 20 minutes at the end of the show so we can get some of these other questions in. Uh, I'm going to go, Joe Repia, do you think? This is a question from uh, Leesburg, Virginia. Are we going to allow the generals to fight the war if we go to war, or is it going to be run by uh, the political leaders? Uh, I think beyond a, a question, uh, a shadow of a doubt, I think it'll be fought much like uh, 91 uh, Desert Storm was fought, and the generals will have a free hand to do what has to be done to get the job done. <laughs> okay, I hope you're right. All right, uh, and the last thing, um, how the Osama bin Laden, he's still out there, maybe, maybe not, we don't know. I'm going to go to Tom Smith, and uh, with all the intel research and background you have, what's your feel on Osama bin Laden? Is he laying low? What's he doing? We have like 50 seconds left. Great question, General. Uh, I think with Osama bin Laden, we have to look at it this way. He is either dead or he's on the run. If he's dead, it's one of two things. Either he's dead and, 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 we, and, uh, and the government uh, knows about it, and, but they don't want to release that information for, for security or intel reasons. They don't want to make him a martyr. Uh, or he's dead, and, and, we, and we simply don't know. Uh, but either way, things aren't going well for Osama bin Laden. Okay. Well, thank, thank you, uh, Tom. And, uh, and hopefully the guests can stay on with us. We have to do a quick summary here, Kenny and I. Uh, this is our 21st show. And uh, we've had some great shows in the past. Uh, I personally I have to take a pause. Uh, on, from the show due to prior commitments uh, with uh, what's picking up talking about this possible war 
uh, and also as we work out uh, sponsors to keep the show as robust as it should be so we can reach out to, to all the American people and especially the GIs that are that are here and there around the world. So for a great past shows, Kenny, were Give the audience some some uh, flavor. Well, we've done everything from the USO show uh, next week. By the way, we're doing one on homeless veterans, uh, which is uh -huh. a very big uh, thing today in the American Legion uh, magazine. Yeah, uh, we've had honoring our veterans. We had Senator Chuck Hagel. We've done one on uh, prisoners of war missing in action uh, with uh, veterans from Europe, the Pacific, Vietnam. We've done Rangers. We've had General Downing on. Uh, VA benefits uh, with the Undersecretary of VA. Survivors of uh, Pearl Harbor. We had Colonel Bud Day with us and Joe Galloway. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been very, very unique. We've had the best. So we even had your birthday party here on one of the yeah, shows, which right. is very, very nice. Yeah, yeah. I think what we're going to do now, we're going to come back onto the web. We're going to bring out Mark DeMint for a moment. This is, uh, goes out to all the, the veterans, especially our World War II buddies, and to those being deployed right now. We're going to now sing one for you. You vowed your love From here to eternity A love so true It never would die You gave your lips Gave them so willingly Now I'm alone With only a memory My empty arms Will never know love that you left with me will live from here to eternity and we're back now we're going to be streaming live on the web for about the next 20 minutes we're going to bring back uh, with us, of course, W. Thomas Smith, Jr., Joe Repia, John Wubensmith, Ed Chamberlain. We might even have one or two more. And it looks like, uh, General Dave, we've got quite a few more uh, good questions coming in. But I know you have a special summary we need to talk about. For yeah, a I do. And, and uh, I, I could just picture, I know Joe Repia was dancing with his wife on that, on that last uh, tune, <laughs> which, which is only appropriate. He, you know, he's getting pretty old. In fact, he, in fact, he left me in Vietnam and went, came back uh, and told me to stay a little longer. Um, and I think Joe was trying to get uh, activated uh, for this upcoming, uh, one of these upcoming missions, but I don't know if they'd let him do it or not. But we'll ask him that in a second. Anyway, uh, just something that we wanted to put in the show. And, you know, one hour really is about 40 minutes, and it goes so fast. And when you have four great guests and a lot of people calling in and uh, writing in in the from the audience, it, it just it's just not enough time. It ought to be a two-hour show. Anyway, uh, I just want to relate a story from you. It's from a Master Sergeant, Sam Rodriguez, uh, from the 7th Special Forces Group. And he was with uh, a group of soldiers that were uh, wounded in Afghanistan. 
And he relates a story uh, from Walter Reed when he was uh, at the hospital visiting uh, one of his soldiers uh, when the President of the United States came in. And the President came in to visit five soldiers that were wounded. And specifically in the room that Sergeant, Master Sergeant Rodriguez was in was one of his troopers, Staff Sergeant uh, Cortinas. And as the President entered the room, he spoke Spanish to the family. He said hello to everyone and positioned himself on the left side of Sergeant Cortinas's bed. He said hello to his mom and his wife and then to Sergeant Cortinas. He then looked at me and reached across the room and shook his hand, my hand. And that's uh, Sergeant uh, Rodriguez talking. Mr. Bush told the Cortinas family in Spanish to say hello to his mother the next time they were in Texas because he hadn't seen her for a while. The president then turned his intention to Sergeant Cortinas uh, and instructed, uh, as he was getting ready to talk, Sergeant Cortinas took the initiative and instructed his wife to hand a president a Silver 7th Special Forces Group coin as a gift for coming to see him and the other wounded soldiers. After thanking him, he told uh, Sergeant Cortinas that he had something for him as well, and he awarded him the Bronze Star. The President pinned the award to Sergeant Cortinas's hospital gown. And Sergeant Cortinas thanked the President and extended his amputated left arm to the President to shake. The President grabbed his amputated limb with both hands and shook it. He then, the President then did something that took everyone in the room by surprise. He reached down and kissed Sergeant Cortinas on the forehead the way a father would kiss his child before putting him to bed. As he rose from the bed, you could see the emotion welling up in his eyes. He told Sergeant Cortinas that he was strong and he was going to be okay. He turned to his wife and thanked her with a hug for her husband's selfless service to the country. Sergeant Cortinas told the president that he wanted to stand up for him, but the president told him that was okay. He was standing for both of them. Jerry then told the president that Sergeant Cortinas then told the president after he was completely healed, he wanted to go back overseas and continue to fight the war. Mr. Bush told him and everyone in the room that we needed more men like Sergeant Cortinas. So I wanted to share that story with you because this is a story, they use the word president, but this is a story of how a commander in chief of our armed forces should act. Okay, Kenny, we're going to go to our audience. Uh, some of the questions that we have for our guests, they're, they're graciously staying with us a little bit longer, 10, 15 minutes. Do you have one here that uh, you want to relate? Uh, I'd like to know, uh, John Wobensmith, I know, is still on with us here, and, and we've got something that came in from Irish Ken. Uh, I'm not sure what state he's from, but it... I think it's Ken Irish. I think it's, uh, yeah, he's got a, there's a comma there. I think his name's Ken Irish. Go ahead. Ken Irish. That CNN was thrown out of Israel just recently for their pro-Palestinian position. Uh, is that true? Uh, do we know anything about this? I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I haven't heard it. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I guess we should get to some of the back to these Iraq questions because that one just popped up and I found it quite interesting. Um, Carol in Georgia wants to know what does everybody think about the human shields? Tom? Uh, I think it's outrageous. Uh, but it doesn't surprise me in the least, General. Yeah, you know, this is a tactic. We all know yeah. that this is a tactic. Uh, people like Saddam, it could be Milosevic, 
any anybody is going to use uh, and and they're an underdog in this regard because they're going to use asymmetrical means. Uh, they're going to use people as 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 cover, uh, as well as camouflage, but camouflaging you know their their uh, their agents or whatever. But as cover, go ahead. But you know what? It also it also tells me, General, it shows a, a little bit of the of the mind of Saddam Hussein. If he would do that. Uh, then surely he would have no qualms about using weapons of mass destruction, uh, which goes back to the idea, you know, should we go to war to, you know, to, to stop this man, uh, or do we want to be surprised, you know, uh, a year, two years down the road? Yeah. Well, here, you know, uh, some of the audience, just uh, Colonel Rendell just brought up a point, and I heard this on uh, uh, the radio, I think, CNN. today. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, uh, that a bunch of Americans are going to go over to Iraq to right. volunteer as human shields. Uh, John, uh, Ed, uh, Joe, anybody, is this, would this be considered being a traitor? If, in fact, uh, we do go to war, that Americans would go over there around possible targets and act as human shields? Well, Absolutely. you know, and uh, this is Joe Repia speaking. Uh, this country ha has a lot of freedoms, and we allow people to do some some pretty stupid things sometimes. And uh, uh, they have the freedom to do that uh, if they want to. Uh, I think precedent has been set. You had uh, Jane Fonda go to North Vietnam, and nothing ever happened to her. And uh, well, that doesn't oh, mean that some people don't know. think that <laughs> it shouldn't. <laughs> so, so as a result, uh, uh, are they traitors? Yeah. In the mindset of, of those of us who have served, absolutely. Uh, will anything uh, become of them? Uh, once again, it depends if, if they're standing on one of the targets once the war begins. Okay. Uh, anybody else have to add to, and want to add to that? Yeah, I, I remember this, John Woven Smith. I remember that uh, actually that was played uh, to some of our soldiers uh, that were uh, over there, and. Uh, the answer from a couple of Marines were if they get in, you know, if they're going to be a human shield and stand in front of me and they're in my way, they're going to be get shot. And that's the way it is. I understand that some volunteers are veterans that uh, volunteered to do this. Yeah, but if you look at, at the rest of their reputations, I think you'll find some of them are pretty, have a pretty uh, scary past. Yeah. Okay, I want and, to And I think they have a political agenda as well. This right. is uh, Joe Repi speaking. That, uh, they've been demonstrating when they've. Uh, spoken on CNN and the Fox News Network. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I want to go to Linda in Chicago, Illinois. And this is, we all have some, uh, tr we've all, everybody on the panel here, uh, our guest, uh, has had ex some experience either in training uh, or just dealing with the threat of use of chemical biological weapons. And Linda has a question here. It says, is it true that our military has already predicted if we go to war with Iraq, our troops uh, that are exposed to biological weapons, um, if they're killed by these weapons, are the bodies gathered together and burned, or what procedures are taken if they're contaminated? This gets into the triage, uh, how you handle medically um, those that are wounded by or killed by chemical biological agents. Anybody want to take a stab at that? Hi, is that Chamberlain, General? Yeah. I think that uh, that's going to depend on, on what the contamination is, but I think that, that that is highly unlikely that we would do something like that. I think that the state of, of uh, our medical ability and decontamination ability, particularly on chemical, on chemical I think we can almost unequivocally say that that is not going to occur. Uh, biological, 
you know, the, the bioagent, while it's a, a weapon of mass destruction, I think it's probably the least likely that he is going to use against our troops. It's just, uh, that's the kind of, a, of an agent that you use against a large uh, population center as a terrorist act. Uh, it's not that effective against, um, you know, combat troops by and large, particularly when he has the, the chemical weapons in his arsenal. Yeah. Here's a question, uh, and, and I agree with you. We, I, I can't imagine us doing that to any American GIs. Uh, there is a triage challenge. There is a, uh, uh, a challenge on the amount of um, resources we have to handle anything of uh, massive catastrophic uh, conditions, but um, I don't think that we would ever do that. But she brings up that question, and that's been, I've heard that before on, on some radio shows and that. So. Uh, that some people believe that that would happen. So thank you, Ed. I'm sure Linda appreciates the answer. And um, there's hey, a Dave, if I could just add yeah. one, one one little additional thing to that, and that Go ahead. is, it, as as Ed was just saying, this is indeed a, a weapon of terror, probably more likely than anything else. And so it it gives more impetus to trying to indeed take these kinds of things away from the terrorists. Or not let it fall into their hands from the Iraqis. Yeah, and let me and, it, and, and just hold it a minute, uh, if you would, John, because Paul from Naperville, Illinois, has a question that's tied to what you just started to talk about. Well, the U.S. Well, uh, well, first of all, do we think that Saddam or his son Uday or one of the others uh, would use biological chemical uh, weapons in the, if we go to war this time? Uh, I'd I'd like to. Tackle that, General. All right. Uh, Go ahead. He has. He's already, he's already used. He's already used uh, weapons of mass destruction before, and he's used them on his own people. Uh, so I, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, uh, and, and it kind of goes back to uh, some of the uh, the naysayers about uh, the fact that whether or not we'll go to, we go to war, and, and is, it, is there a double standard between Iraq and and, and North Korea? Uh, I think that North Korea is a threat. It's a danger. Iraq is, of course, a threat and a danger, but here's the difference. North Korea probably has uh, one, maybe two nuclear weapons. They have weapons of mass destruction, uh, but if they, I, I feel like they would use uh, a weapon of mass destruction if they justified in their minds that they were threatened uh, in some way. I think Saddam Hussein would use a weapon of mass destruction if he thought he could get away with it simply to kill infidels. That's my personal opinion. So I think you can't compare the two, and I think he absolutely would use them uh, if he was backed against the walls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does everybody else out there on the panel agree with that? Yeah, General, uh, this is Joe Repia. I, I think uh, the wild card here is uh, what if he uses anywhere from uh, 12 to 24 scuds that uh, uh, we believe that he still possesses to fire chemical weapons into Israel? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, at that point in time, all bets are off, and I think there's going to be a massive retaliation by the Israelis. Okay, what type of retaliation by the Israelis? What type of retaliation by the United States of America if <clears throat> Iraq uses chemical biological weapons? Uh, once again, Joe Repia, I, I believe that if, if that were to happen, my, once again, my, sole op my own opinion uh, is that uh, the Israelis will go nuclear. John, anybody else? John, Tom? I, I agree. Yeah, this is it. I think that uh, the Israelis definitely would. And I know that one of the major concerns we had in Desert Storm uh, was the challenge of the Israelis doing that and, and damaging the coalition. I think here, though, again, going back to the, the wild card analogy, Hussein is, is such an outlaw and is perceived that way by many of his surrounding states. 
that if he used the weapons of mass destruction against Israel, I, I don't think they would have the same uh, potential danger to the coalition uh, that it may have had uh, back in 91. I guess the only other thing I would say, it would depend on how great the damage was. I mean, if indeed the, uh, the uh, anti-missile system works and they're able to intercept the scuds coming in, <clears throat> then, and, and nobody, you know, and it doesn't cause any great amount of harm, I'm not sure that the Israelis would go use a nuclear weapon on them. But I, you know, certainly they would retaliate, but uh, I think it might depend. Well, let me ask then, uh, since you brought up the word scuds, yeah. uh, have we found any scuds? And, uh, I mean, they're rather large. They can be hidden that easily or that well right now? <laughs> they were hidden pretty well during the 91 war. We had a hell of a time trying to find uh, where the scuds were. Uh-huh. Yeah, their mobility is one of the biggest challenges. Right. Exactly. They launched 81 uh, scuds during the uh, 91 war, and uh, I don't think we knocked out one launcher at that, at that point in time. But we didn't also have uh, that 10, 11 year period of time when uh, there were the inspectors in the past that were looking and finding. And I think that's what some of the, um, the people that are, are trying to have us go a different route and, and keep the inspectors there longer are saying. But now I've also heard that a lot of the scuds are being hidden in uh, typical um, uh, semi-trailer. Right, they're very mobile and, and can easily be hidden. Uh, and, Joe, and they're very difficult to find. Yeah, this is Joe Repia. Uh, the dif difficulty is you have Iraq the size of uh, landmass of California, and you only have 100 inspectors in there. Uh, they can hide. It's like finding a ne needle in a haystack. Yeah. Uh, and once these things are pulled out, they can be launched fairly fast. And once they're launched, uh, you know, all bets are off. Yeah, we're going to go to uh, uh, North Korea in just a second. I want to answer. I want someone to answer this question from Paul real quick. It probably ought to be Tom. Uh, Paul from Naperville uh, has to do here, and I know what I would say, but I want to hear Tom's uh, response. Why is our space program and satellites not being used more effectively to help find these hidden weapons? Well, I think they are, uh, General. I think that, uh, you know, we, in fact, we've been uh, relying on uh, on, on, on satellite intelligence, signals intelligence, that kind of thing, for, for quite some time. Uh, and, and I think it's been uh, fairly effective. Uh, but what we're, what we're doing now is we're trying to focus more, of course, on, on human intelligence. That's where, that's where the problem has been. Uh, but, no, I think that we are. Uh, and, and, in fact, uh, there is a lot of discussion about this, uh, the idea that this war, uh, if, if we go to war with Iraq, uh, the, the, our, our guided missile capability will, will be so much greater. There will be, I think, there was 10% uh, of our munitions were guided uh, in the uh, in the uh, the Gulf War, and now uh, maybe 60 to 80% would be guided. And a lot of our soldiers on the ground have uh, GPS systems with them, that kind of thing. So um, we're making tremendous use of satellites uh, on all fronts, not just in trying to locate these weapons. Uh, but also in, uh, in, in with our with our op with the operational side in terms of uh, of our military forces. Yeah. Okay. Uh, General, I'd like yeah. to just uh, jump in here for just a minute, Joe Repia. Once again, uh, I, I do not believe that Saddam Hussein is suicidal. Uh, best case scenario is once the tanks start rolling, he and his uh, inner circle and family pack up and ship off to a, to another country, a neutral country that will take them in exile. 
and I, I prevalent, uh, you know, seriously hope that that's, that is the case. Uh, but, uh, but every scenario needs to be explored. You know, this, uh, Tom talked about uh, the UMINT capability. Uh, Tom, what's your feel on uh, the UMIT capability by the CIA and others uh, for the possible upcoming Iraqi mission? I think uh, far greater than it was uh, before September 11, 2001, and uh, and and I, you know we, again we had some we had some problems beforehand, but I think uh, our hands were basically tied in terms of human intelligence. Uh, before September 11, but the but the gloves have been removed, uh, and so I think that uh, you know, look at it this way, General. In in, the, in a matter of days after September 11, 2001, uh, we had CIA operatives on the ground in Afghanistan, uh, and then it was uh, what less than a month. Uh, American and British uh, warplanes were were flying strikes against uh, targets in Afghanistan, and then you know a few days after that, we had. Uh, ground forces on the ground there. We had warm bodies on the ground. So I think our, uh, we're going to see the same thing here. We, they're, they're, I'm, I'm quite sure there are probably uh, people on the ground right now other than just the weapons inspectors. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I doubt that they're going to be in, you know, in downtown Baghdad. Uh, oh, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, they may, be, they may be up in the Kurdish area or they may be down right. in the south, but, but they're not, they're not going to have an effective uh, human operation going on inside uh, the area no, that's got control. And, and, that, and that, that brings another thing to mind. Uh, when you, you talk about in, in downtown Baghdad, if we, if we have – our mission here will be to affect a regime change. Well, that is going to bring up uh, fighting in an urban environment. And, and we saw just how terrible that can be in uh, Mogadishu in 1993. But I think what's happened – and, and our, our ability to fight in an urban environment is so much better, even than it was, say, in 1991 during the Gulf War – uh, because we've had uh, Army and Marine units training in cities really all over the world. I know for a fact here in Columbia two years ago, in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, there were Marines uh, training for three days uh, in, in downtown Columbia. And I know Army Rangers have trained up in uh, Charlotte or Raleigh, North Carolina. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough fight in an urban environment, as all of you gentlemen know. Well, let's, let's uh, go to that. Let's go to the urban environment for a minute with uh, Ed Chamberlain. Uh, let him comment on your on what you just said at reference uh, the capability now compared to ninety one. Thanks, Dave. You know, I think Mogadishu in ninety three was one of the examples used. I think a big problem there was not one of training, but was one of resourcing. Uh, you know, we did not have the uh, the National Command Authority that had made the decision to put the wherewithal in there to fight the kind of of environment forces that we did. And going back, I believe to Tom's comments with all of the training that we've seen now. I think the combination of the urban training, uh, the human, and to digress to that for a minute, we made a comment that we don't think we have much in Baghdad. You know, if we have news teams running around in there and we manage to talk to some of the folks that are, are anti-Hussein, uh, I think that, that we probably do have, while not as, as robust as we'd like, I feel pretty comfortable that we do have some, uh, some human uh, or some human capability up in the, uh, in the key areas right there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we look at, uh, at some of the big classic Stalingrad perhaps being one of the, uh, the best examples uh, in Berlin. You know, it, it's, just, it's, it's just tough, dirty work. It's, it's a soldier's uh, work, and it's just going you know, building to building. We get into the, uh, the comments earlier about the human shields, uh, and it's going to kind of become very difficult. 
but uh, we, have, we have the plan, we have the resources and the capability. Uh, but I think that it would be a very absolute last uh, uh, resort for us because we want to avoid that kind of a conflict for, for all of the reasons, the, uh, the endangering of our soldiers and putting our folks in, in harm's way like that, uh, getting embroiled in, in just that morass of foot-by-foot uh, -foot fighting, all the civilian casualties or potential, and then the, uh, the media uh, field day that something like that would cause. Right. And we got one more, and it's a good wrap-up on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the mount fighting, uh, the uh, UMINT. One more, we're going to do one more question on Iraq, and then, as we promised, we have to just go at least for a couple minutes to North Korea before we close down. And that is on, on Iraq, because this subject just keeps sucking us in. We can't get away from it right now tonight. But it's important, obviously. What equates uh, smoking gun, uh, material breach? In other words, you know, a person, you know, I get a little tired of Germany and, and, and France right now with the weak-kneed attitude about no one, I, I, I never hear any of them saying what a, uh, a smoking gun or material breach, whatever you want to call it, what does it equal? What is it, what would it be that people say, oh, yeah, okay, that's proof. It, even though this isn't a murder trial, this is uh, something that's been going on for just ignoring the U.N. for 12 years. But what, what do you think the Europeans would equate to a smoking gun? Anybody? I really think that uh, the vast majority of the population, the, the U.S. population particularly, and, and the Europeans probably to a lesser but, but still a concerned degree, are very naive, uh, and they don't understand. They, they want to wish the best of everybody and, and just cannot believe that Hussein is the actual thug that he is, that he would endanger his people like he has, and that uh, his entire focus is, is looking out for he and his, his small cadre of uh, folks that, uh, that surround him. I think it would actually, you know, I'm not sure that, that there is such a thing that, that they would believe because then you get into the credibility. You, you've seen here, it's a trust issue. You know, who are we going to trust, Hussein or Bush? Well, you know, that's an easy answer for me. And, uh, you know, why in the world we even go to those kinds of, of discussions just boggles my mind. But uh, I, I think there's people who are just going to stick their head, heads in the sand and refuse and if we do come up with something, they're going to claim it's, it's a fabrication by our folks to try and, and promote a war. Well, we've got to start winding down now here, and I know that General Davey wanted to just do one more um, relationship about uh, our concerns that Korea is withdrawing uh, from the Nuclear Arms Treaty. We had a question come in from uh, Tim in Chicago. Yeah, and, and uh, Tim gave us this question, but uh, I'd ask each of you just to give us one minute of your time and try to make it one minute because of the time constraint we have right now. Uh, pulling out of the uh, the treaty, but also it doesn't have to just be the treaty because it's 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 more than that. The concern about uh, the situation with North Korea right now, with what we got going on in the world, and and let's start with Joe Repia. Uh, my uh, general, that's that's a good question. What do we do? Uh, my my gut tells me that we should try to uh, open as many lines of communication with uh, North Korea as we can, uh, just to delay dealing with the issue until we finish in Iraq. Uh, once we're finished in Iraq, then we can focus in on, on North Korea. But we obviously can't trust them. Uh, no agreement that they sign is uh, worth the paper it's written on. Okay. Uh, uh, Tom? I agree, but I think we have far more leverage with North Korea than we do with Iraq. Uh, I, you know, we, we, we have, of course, our, our allies, South Korea. The Chinese uh, don't want us bringing in uh, 
nuclear weapons into the into the region, and uh, and so they're going to be hot to try and 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 get North Korea to uh, fall back in line. So I think we have a lot more leverage with them. All right, uh, let's go to uh, John Wolbenstein. I I think the motivations uh, you have to look at with North Korea. Um, you know, this is a country that's that's basically on the verge of collapse. They're, they've got this terrible problem of starvation among their people, and and what they what they've done in the past, and what I think they're doing right now, is they're just simply trying to blackmail the West, and and uh, trying to figure out how they can uh, leverage this to take care of their their starving uh, people and their economic disaster in the country. Yeah. So, and so in in terms of that, how do you handle that? Well, you you, you work on them diplomatically. You don't you don't go and uh, you know move the move the nuclear weapons in against them or anything like that. I mean, it, it, you've got to take it. It's an entirely different approach than than it would be with Iraq. Roger that. Okay, and to wrap up, uh, Ed Chamberlain, if you would, Ed, just uh, your feeling on that as we look over our shoulder while hey, we're I focused. I think I have to agree with with your other guests tonight. Uh, I think that it is a, a ploy. It's it's a blackmail attempt. It's it's a it's an effort to try and and pull them out of the of some kind of a of a last ditch stand there. I think that a a significant concern uh, may be uh, looking at South Korea and the emerging uh, young population there that doesn't recall the war and, and the problems. Of earlier, and uh, their continued focus in, uh, in efforts in trying to move U.S. forces out of the area. I think if we do that, as as uh, appealing as that may seem on occasion, uh, that would would uh, potentially cause some major uh, destabilization of that entire region, with China and Japan both emerging as as major forces there. Without the U.S. as a tripwire and and stabilizing, uh, we would have some some significant concerns in that region. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all all of you being with us tonight. I really, really, really thank you. It's the most, uh, I would say, internet traffic uh, people come calling and you know getting with us on on uh, the subject. It's a broad subject, obviously, but it's uh, everybody's worried about it. But uh, I think it's also because of who we had on the show. So again, I thank you very much for being with us, and uh, I hope to see all of you sometime soon, somewhere at your place or, or here. Great, Dave. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it, General. Thank you, sir. General, thank you very much for having us. General Dave, thanks a lot. Really All right, enjoyed Dave. it. All right, this has thanks. been the Veterans Radio Hour. We've been live streaming uh, around the world. Come back and be with us next week, every Sunday night. You can also log on to our website again and listen to the archive of this show, as well as all of the past shows. And that'll be 21 of them as of today. General Dave, thanks very much, and we'll be looking forward to uh, seeing you a little bit more on CNN and whenever you're back in town with us here. And we are out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the Veterans Radio Hour, this is Carl King, Roger Wilco, and out.